We're in the series called the Roots of Fruit. Roots of Fruit. And the reason that we're in the series is in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing. Galatians, who, by the way, is one of the first books that's, that's authored by Paul among scholars, both secular and uh, Christian. There's not a lot of debate at all around the fact that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. It was one of his first books that he wrote. It was one of the only books that was written to a providence and not a city specific. But in this, Paul lays out some really basic ideas and tenets of the faith. In chapters 1 through 4. In chapter 5, Paul takes a turning point and juxtaposes these two ideas of life lived in the flesh, is what he would call it, or life lived in the spirit. In other words, life as we would normally live without Jesus, and then life that we would live under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he describes the things of the Spirit, he says there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so each week we're taking an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit and we're talking about what that looks like. But as we do so, there's a couple things that you need to know, especially if you're new to us this week. Number one is that these are all different ways to describe the same fruit. When Paul says this is the fruit of the Spirit, it is fruit singular, not fruits plural. So in the same way that you would describe an apple, With a number of different ways, a number of different adjectives, a number of different nouns, you would say it's red, maybe it's reddish-greenish, maybe it's pinkish, it has a stem, uh, it has a skin, it has a soft texture on the inside, it's sweet, it's juicy. You could use a bunch of ways to describe the same fruit. Well, Paul says that this is what it looks like when the Spirit of God is manifest in your life. That there should be a concurrent growth in all of these areas. And you might have a pre-existing propensity to one more than the other. You might be patient more than you are self-controlled, or those, those kind of go together. You might have more joy than you do kindness. But for all of these, these, these pieces, there's a concurrent growth that happens. And, as Jesus would say in John chapter 15, that he's the vine and we're the branches. That the way that the branches bear fruit is to remain or stay connected to the vine. In other words, as we talk about these, there is going to be inside of each one of us because ultimately we all fall short of God. We all fall short of perfection. So as we talk about it, you know, when we talked about love, we all realized there's places in our life that we're not loving. We talked about joy. We all realized there's, there's seasons of our life where we're not joyful. We talked about peace. There are for all of us times in life that we have not had peace when we wish we had peace. But the focus is not our, on our deficiencies or our insufficiencies. They are simply an indicator of the connection to our Heavenly Father. In other words, the root produces the fruit. And when we look at our fruit and realize there's room for growth, which there is in every single one for each one of us, because none of us are perfect, it is simply an indicator to the level and the depth of the connection that we have with our Heavenly Father. So today as we talk about faithfulness, there's a couple observations that I want to make, and then we're going to go into a story that Jesus talked about, a parable, where he explained some things about faithfulness. So let me just kind of get the ball rolling here with a couple general observations about faithfulness, which you probably knew, but maybe you haven't articulated before. Number one, faithfulness is a big deal. Faithfulness is a really big deal. And here's how you know that. It's a big deal when someone isn't faithful. If you have a friend who hasn't been faithful to you, you probably don't have that person as a friend anymore, right? 
If you have a coworker that has not been faithful, in fact, if you have a boss or you have an employee that has not been faithful to you, then chances are you don't have that friend, that boss, that coworker, especially, come on. If you're in a relationship and you're married and you have an unfaithful spouse, that is an extraordinarily difficult thing to overcome. Because faithfulness is important, in fact, if you think about it. Almost every time in life that you have been hurt by another person, and I would say every time, but you're smart people, so you probably thought way ahead of me, and you got, you got an example of sometime it wasn't true. But almost every time that you have been hurt by someone in life, it's because they were unfaithful in some way, shape, or form. They hurt you because they didn't do what they said they were going to do, or they weren't who they, to, who they led you to believe they were. Almost every time that we have been hurt in life, it's because someone has been unfaithful to us. But here's the difficulty. Faithfulness or unfaithfulness is very, very difficult to see in the mirror. Because we all know people who are unfaithful. But very few of us are actually unfaithful. So here's how I wanted to define it, and we're going to define it this way because this is basically how Jesus is going to define it in this parable. Faithfulness, so we're all working with the same de- definition, is diligence or obedience over an extended period of time. Diligence or obedience over an extended period of time. Diligence or obedience over an extended period of time. In other words, faithfulness is doing what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it. Diligence or faithfulness is being who you said you were going to be over an extended period of time. Because no one would define someone as, as faithful if they were just it for a month or a week. But it is diligence in who you said you were going to do, what you said you were going to do, or who you said you were going to be over an extended period of time. And you're going to find out why all of that is important. It's not just random facts. So if you got your Bible, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 25. As Jesus is talking, he's talking to his disciples for one of the last times, and he tells a parable. As Jesus often would, he would say, the kingdom of God, he would, say, he would explain some heavenly principle, some ultimate principle through an ordinary situation or an ordinary story. And so he explains, as in chapter 25, he is about to no longer be on planet earth. He's about to die, and he's about to be resurrected. And he knows that. His disciples were, honestly didn't really have that grasp on it, and that's difficult for us to see in hindsight. But if you read through the Gospels, it's just this really interesting thing that no, nobody saw it coming. Easter morning, Jesus, you know, Jesus dies. They'll say, oh, no, they you know, desert him. Easter morning, he's not there. None of them say, he's risen. Everybody says, he's risen indeed. They say, where'd he go? Because no one was expecting him to die. But as Jesus is about to die, he gives a parable that his disciples need to know as it relates to their faithfulness to him. This is what he says. Chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be, talking about the kingdom of heaven, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. To each according to his ability. Now pause. This is important. He did not distribute them equally. They were not all equally gifted and talented. They were probably equally valuable in the eyes of God as human beings. But they were not equally gifted and talented in resource. Here's why that's important. Because for some of us, when it comes to faithfulness, we aren't as faithful as we ought to be because we don't have what someone else has or we don't have the position that someone else has. Right? This is like for us, if you're talking about generosity, for some of us, you know, you, some of you, again, you're extraordinarily generous. 
But for some of us, you're not generous. And the reason you're not generous is because you don't feel like you have enough to be generous. But every step along the way, you're not going to feel like you have enough to be generous. It's like anyone who's in here who perhaps is in the college realm of life and, you know, maybe you're, you know, killing it in the college game and you make a thousand bucks a month and everybody says, man, I wish I had your job at, you know, Chick-fil-A or wherever it is that you're working and you're just, man, you're just monstering through that drive through Polynesian play. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. My pleasure. And as you go through that whole thing, you're making a thousand dollars a month. Let me tell you, as a college, man, it can be, it can be very, let's, let's just, you know, kind of a 10%. Let's just take a percentage giving. You're going to be generous and give 10%. That can be very difficult when you're saying, I'm only making $1,000 a month to give $100. Let me tell you, if you get to the point where your family income is $100,000 in a year, it is going to be so difficult for you to give 10 Can you, can you imagine giving away $10,000 every single year? I was looking at that, is that even possible? Who in their right mind would do that? But here's what they say about giving. Most people who give when they're older start when they're younger. The majority of people who give generously and consistently, not to a one-time cause, but consistently are percentage givers, start when they're young. You know, I know why. Because when you have a little and are diligent over an extended period of time, you will be diligent when you have a lot. Relationships. Your job. This is why, for some of you, you seem to excel no matter what you do. Because every single job you go into, you are diligent with a task. You could have the worst job, start out at the bottom rung of the ladder, and as you work and work and work and work, you were only a two-talent type of person, or you were a one-talent type of person, but you were consistent, 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 and diligent over time. And you eventually worked your way up. And in fact, everywhere you go, you seem to work your way up. You know, want to know why? Because you weren't defined by the fact that someone else had more than you had. Some of us, the reason, again, we're not where we want to be. is because we think, when I have that title or that position, then I'll be diligent. For those of you interested in ministry, when, I ha- when I'm a pastor, when I have a stage, when I have a microphone strapped on, then I'm going to start living the life that God has called me to live. And little do you know. The key to getting there is diligence, faithfulness, the entire time. So he continues on, and this is how the story plays out. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, let me tell you why that phrase is so extraordinarily important. Time is the ultimate determiner of faithfulness. Time is the ultimate determiner of faithfulness. Because anybody can white-knuckle and willpower their way into a month of submission of faithfulness in any area of your life. But time, And here's what you'll find. In fact, the older you are, the more that you know this is true. Anything that you're disciplined with, anything that you're faithfulness, any any faithful with, anything that you're diligent in over an extended period of time, diligence and faithfulness over an extended period of time always produces exponential results. Always produces extraordinary results. Anybody can save, anybody can save 
you know, one month, two months, one week, put a little installment in. But you find someone who didn't save for a month, didn't save for a week, didn't save for a year. You find someone who was able to save every single month for 10 years straight, and you will find someone who is out of debt and has financial freedom. I guarantee it. You find someone who in their job, no matter what they had, no matter what their responsibility was, did their best, were faithful and diligent, Not with one position, not when they got to a position, but at every position with every task. Over 10 years, you will find an extraordinary employee that everyone wants them to work for them. You find someone who has remained, spent time with, daily in prayer, daily in the scriptures, remaining, I heard a a description of what it means to remain that stays vitally connected to Jesus. Not for a week and not for a month and not even just for a year, but for 10 years consistently is remaining in relationship, vitally connected to their heavenly father. Let me tell you what you're going to find. You will find a role model when you find that person. If you're in here, you're not a Christian, you're kind of on the periphery of church, not really sure if you believe. And you may have seen a hundred Christians, a thousand Christians, who you look at and you said, if they're a Christian, I don't want to be anything like a Christian. You find one person who has remained consistently over an extended period of time, and you will find someone who is different than perhaps what you've ever experienced before. So the master comes back. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I love this because the master says, okay, I'm going to set you over more. So you were a five-talent person. Now you're a ten-talent person. He'll say, say the same thing to the two-talent person. You were a two-talent person. Now you're going to be a four-talent person. And maybe you're going to be an eight-talent person, which means you might be in this room and you might be a little bit behind the curve and be a two-talent person. But let me tell you, God can make you into an eight-talent person as you are diligent over time. Because, again, diligence, diligence, faithfulness over an extended period of time always produces extraordinary results it's why some of us it's why some of you guys you get in shape and anybody can run anybody can eat well for a month it's good to do it for a month it's great to do it for years but you find someone who does it over the course of 10 years consistently putting in time you will find someone in shape it's the same principle i'm going to put you over more and he also who had two talents came forward saying master You delivered me two talents, and here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, if we're being honest, whether it's in our relationship with God, 
whether it's in our job, whether it's with our family, whether it's with our family, I mean, just any area of life, we all look at this and we all know that we have areas where we have not been faithful. We have not been diligent. And here's what we'll find every time. There is a reason for it. He had a reason. He had an excuse. He had something that he had prepared that said, you know, Master, I knew what kind of guy you were. And I knew that there was some risk involved. And so I knew. And I thought that this was what I was. I mean, there's a reason why I haven't been faithful with, with what you've been giving me. There's a reason why I haven't invested it. And any time that we aren't faithful, there's always a reason. Things came up. Life got busy. I didn't have the margin. We've all experienced this before. So his master looks at him and says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not, where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming that I should have received what was my own with interest. So take this talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. <laughs> Which we all pause to say, Jesus, I don't know if you know how you're supposed to work, but this is like the opposite of Robin Hood. You know, Jesus, you're supposed to take from the rich and give it to the poor. Jesus, you're taking from the poor and making him poor and give it to the guy who's got 10. He's supposed to say exactly. When he was talking about talent specifically, they were talking about money. But you, this principle applies to anything. He says, come on, if you're not going to be diligent with what I have given you, how can I trust you with more? How can I give you more? Because all of a sudden, more is going to make you more responsible. Everybody knows that's not true. You waste time now, you waste time later. Don't have margin now, won't have margin later. Unless something fundamentally changes. More is not going to make you more faithful, more diligent. So he says, I'm going to take what you have left and I'm going to give it to the guy with a lot. Verse 29. And let me just tell you the principle. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, very direct and very difficult thing to wrestle with as Jesus says this. Because we read it, and again, you and I know us. And we all have areas of unfaithfulness. We all have areas that we look at this and say, so does that mean I'm out the weeping and gnashing of teeth? I mean, <laughs> glad I went to church this morning. You know, can we have like a more peppy message for the first one in the new building? This is a little bit difficult. But let me tell you, here's the, here's the beautiful thing again. This is why it's so important to know that the fruit of faithfulness comes from the root of remaining. In other words, there is a tendency at about this point in the sermon for a lot of times as the pastor to get up and say, okay, so we just got to be more faithful. We just got to try harder. We got to do more. But here's what Jesus would say, and here's what Paul would say. It's not trying harder. It's not white-knuckling your will. That there is a natural causation as we remain connected to Jesus that the faithfulness and the fruitfulness in our lives will multiply. That it's not that we decide to be more faithful. We decide to be more faithful to the one who is faithful because we realize that we are not faithful it's in our realization of our inadequacy that we realize our need for jesus and subsequently stay connected to him and as a result become fruitful it's not us trying harder it's us connecting more 
You see, for a lot of us, we still have this view of Jesus and Christianity that God just wants you to try harder to be a better person. We are all sinfully corrupt and broken people. We have all made mistakes. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That is not an indictment on you. That is just an observation of the human condition that none of us, because of our good works, can stand before an almighty, pure, holy God. And he didn't expect us to. And he sent his son to die for that very reason. That you and I would not have to earn our way into God's good graces, but would be made whole because he is good. In fact, there's a a writer in the Bible who said this, explained this very, 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 very well. In a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus even walked planet earth. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61 prophesies writing about Jesus as if it's himself. In fact, if we, we've got it in the NIV because the NIV just says it really well. A lot of stuff what I read is the, the English standard version. We've got this in NIV because it just says it really well. So if we could put Isaiah 61 starting at verse 1 on the screen. Isaiah prophesies this and says this. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Now this is like God talking saying this. As a prophecy about Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to, plant, to proclaim good news to the poor. That's us. That is the poor, broken people. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, wait a second. Don't change it yet. Go back. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you, sound people. So... This is what this means. That means that the way that we are described, and let me tell you, this is not an indictment. This is freeing to us because for many of us, again, we felt like our entire lives we had to earn our way into God's good graces. But Jesus, God, in saying this before Jesus even walked planet earth, says, let me just tell you that I understand you're not perfect, that you are poor, that you are brokenhearted, that you are captive, and you are prisoners. You don't have to feel bad because you think that maybe God sees that you're a bad person because you've done some stuff wrong and compared to me and me compared to you, maybe you're good, maybe I'm good, who knows? But compared to God, we all fall short and God just looks at it and says, I know. Next verse. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who, have, who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And he's about to make a transition and say, you were this, you were broken, you were in mourning, you were poor, you were poor in spirit. You and I have all been, I want to exchange that. And here is what. Not, I want you to convince yourself to white knuckle your will into becoming. But as you allow your life to be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit, as in an extraordinary way you remain in Jesus, connected, vitally connected, As day after day, you go before him in prayer. As day after day, you go before him in his word. As day after day, frankly, you just acknowledge, God, I am sinful and I need you today. I am broken and I need you today. 
As some people say it, you preach the gospel to yourself every single day that God is good. God is good. God sent his son and I am desperately in need of Jesus because frankly, I might be good compared to you. You might be good compared to me. But we're all sinfully broken compared to him. And Jesus offers ultimate grace, ultimate love, ultimate forgiveness, ultimate acceptance on the cross, giving us a right standing with God as he made that sacrifice. And this is what he makes us into. That they will be called, that's the church, that's us, it's the believers of God, that they will be called oaks of righteousness. I love that phrase. All of us have heard and know of oak trees, of course, that you look at this oak tree and it's this massive, sturdy, steady tree. And there's a crazy big root structure that goes down, that grabs the earth, that's not moving, that's not wavering. He said, that's what I'm going to turn my believers into. That they're not going to be this little, you know, faint little plant that kind of comes up and anybody that comes up slaps it and it gets knocked over. No, no, no. You are going to be oaks of righteousness that I'm going to create in you as the power of the Holy Spirit resides and works in and moves through you. That I am going to create oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. In other words, it wasn't us who decided to become uh, an oak. It was that Jesus who planted that inside of us. And the reason that he planted that inside of us and is making us into that and becoming that isn't simply so we can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Your life might get better. You might experience more financial freedom. You might experience more intimacy in your marriage. I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily always the case. I do think that, you know, we experience, everybody experiences hardship. I do also think that Jesus kind of makes you better at life because if you do what God says, you'll, you know, be blessed and that's happy. Anyway, different sermon, different day, not health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, whole other story for another whole other day. But all that to say is I think... And I believe that those things might happen, but the purpose of us being oaks of righteousness, sturdy, solid, faithful men and women of God, is that we would be a display for the splendor of his glory. That my life would not be about me saying, how great am I? My life wouldn't be about me saying, oh my gosh, I'm just such a good person. That my life would be like an oak of righteousness. And I would simply be a display for the glory and the splendor of God. And for those of you especially who have been following Jesus for a long time, for those of you who have consistently, over an extended period of time, remained, You are an oak of righteousness. You are what we need as role models. You are what we need as mentors. You are what we need as disciples. Let me just tell you, we have a relatively young congregation. You want to know the one thing. Whenever I sit down with a group of folks from our church, we have community week, which usually means a bunch of college students come over for a free meal. We get it, and that's why we do it. And I always love to ask this question. If you could change one thing about our church, what would it be? You know what the one consistent thing is? I wish we had more older people to mentor and disciple us. There is a generation of people, let me tell you, especially if you're, you know, over 35, we'll say, because that's, you know, according to our church statistics back in February, 3% of our congregation. Two, I think. There is a generation of people that are looking at you 
that needs you. Article after article that comes out, how do you reach millennials? Let me just tell you. You keep following Jesus. You keep remaining in him. And you are paving the way for the next generation. Because what our church, in fact, what our city needs is not a group of Christians who try to white-knuckle their will into becoming good because that'll last for a month, maybe a year. But people who are consistently going to their Heavenly Father, who are consistently coming before Jesus. Who you might have been following Jesus only for a year, a couple years, maybe even a couple weeks. But you are setting yourself on a path that over an extended period of time, you are going to consistently go and remain and remain and remain. And God is creating in you an oak of righteousness. So come on, if you're here and you're new to church, I mean, the whole church thing is kind of, you know, you're on the periphery, you're not really sure where you believe. We're just so glad that you're here, and we hope you that you feel welcome. But let me tell you for you, isn't it true that perhaps the reason that you aren't sure about Jesus, the reason that you don't like the church, is because you have experienced a lot of Christians who are anything but a sturdy, steadfast, faithful oak of righteousness. You've experienced Christians, perhaps, who are unfaithful. Who said one thing and did the other. And not as an honest struggle, as a clear sign that they aren't being faithful to their Heavenly Father. Let me tell you, perhaps, what you need more than anything. Not a sermon. You don't need a Bible verse. Frankly, maybe you don't even need to come to church. Or maybe you do need to come to church, but the reason you need to come to church isn't because of a sermon or a song. It's because you need to meet someone who has been faithfully following Jesus. Because perhaps for you, that's your biggest hindrance to faith. Let me just pause and kind of cast a vision real quick. How dynamic would an entire church who got this How dynamic, how life-giving would an entire congregation be that got this? Consistent, faithful, not because of we're good, but because we acknowledge we aren't good and we need God to be good. We need God to be consistent. We need God to be the person that we go to for our strength and our sustenance. How dynamic would it be in our city and in our community if an entire church was described as oaks of, I mean, just a big old oak field that's sitting right here in the middle of downtown Tallahassee that people would look at and say, you know what? Not man, that church is so good, those people are so good. But man, that they just glorify God. God. I didn't believe God until I saw those people. And I don't even know that I still believe in God, but I believe that they believe God. Because no one can be that consistent over that extended period of time without it. Perhaps for you, that's what you need. And I hope and I pray you meet somebody like that today. And let me just end by encouraging you for a second. The fantastic thing is, so many of you have gotten this. So many of you have gotten this and you have displayed it. In fact, let's be honest. This building is simply a symbol of your faithfulness. This building is simply a symbol of your faithfulness. Every step of the way, we have never been a church of extraordinary means 
when we started as a Bible study at Grace Mission Church who let us use their church for free and were so generous to do so. As we outgrew that space, we moved towards the Mary Brogan. And for the first time as a church, we were going to have to do something that real churches do, which was pay rent. And it was going to be a whopping $200. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, $200. Wait, so every week we got to pay $200, I don't know if we can afford it. And that was a serious. But you were faithful. And God provided through you. And your obedience. And your diligence. We were the Mary Brogan for a while. And we really wanted a place that we could call because of the unrest that had happened because of a number of things. And so we went to a little beat, broken down warehouse. And we met with the contractors and they said, it's going to be about 30 grand to renovate this whole thing. We thought, oh my gosh, where is that going to come from? That was going to be like manna from heaven for our church. Because we didn't know how we were going to pay or how we were going to afford, for, afford anything. But again, God was faithful through your obedience. As we outgrew our church, we were sitting there praying saying, God, we don't know where because the problem is our church is getting bigger and the bigger that you get, the blessed buildings that, that can hold you and less warehouses that make sense for you to move into. And we prayed and prayed. We met with the contractors and they said it's going to be X amount of money. And honestly, we kind of met and said, well, truthfully, we don't have a better option. So I'm just going to pray about it and we assume that this is where God's leaving because he's not leaving anywhere else and we can't stay at the current building we're in. And we unleashed a building campaign. <laughs> the funny thing about the building campaign is sometimes as a pastor, I don't tell you this when I'm, when I'm shooting videos, okay? So let me just give you an internal dialogue. Sometimes as the pastor, I say stuff that I don't believe in, okay? Just want to say that. Because someone else said, here, this is on a sheet of paper, you should say it. And so they put on this sheet of paper, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to need, you know, two people to give at least $10,000. That was like more than we had ever seen in a check. I think, I think we had had one person in the history, like the four years before, give $10,000. And that was for the last building. So we need two people for this building. I said that in the video. I was actually watching this morning. I felt so dumb saying that because I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to find those people? Because those people ain't between the ages of 18 and 35, and that's so much of our church. <laughs> and then I said something even dumber, just to be frank. And we pray, and this, is, this was ad libs. This is how you know I'm, like, I'm starting to believe my own lies, Okay. And we want there to be one person. You can go back and watch the video. We think that there's one. We're praying that there's one person that can give a, you know, above and beyond that. Let me tell you. Not too long after that, we had an incredibly generous donor who just wrote us a check for $26,000. We thought Jesus is real. <laughs> And then we had someone else. And that, by the way, that person had never been to our church, never been a part. We're sitting there saying, God, where's it going to come from? God's saying, I know you're asking that question because you're still not going to know where that came from. We continue to pray. And so many of you were, were generous. I mean, you didn't give that amount, perhaps. But your level of sacrifice was the same. You gave $100 when you barely had $100. You gave, five, you gave $20 when you barely had $20. We had one person, doesn't live here, isn't in town, just had a kid that goes to our church, who over the course of a little over a year, gave over $50,000. Let me just tell you, you want to talk about a faith-building exercise. You decide to build a church when you don't have any money. And you see how God comes through. You just watch as you are faithful 
to say, God, I know these people have prayed about the number that they put on this piece of paper in front of me, and I gotta say it like I believe it, so I'm just gonna say it, and God, I'm gonna step out in faith and in faithfulness and follow you. And you gave, and you served, and I am so thankful. I'm not even a pastor. I'm just so thankful to be a part of a church that is so extraordinarily faithful. But again, not because you're good, but because you realize that none of us are good. So let's all simply attach ourselves to the one who is good. And perhaps for you, if you're new this morning, new to church, new to Christianity, the thing that you need to know is simply this. We aren't good. We just know a great God who gave himself so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could be made right with him, so that we could be forgiven by him, so that no matter what we did, no matter who we are, no matter our mountain of sin and our past, there was ultimate grace and forgiveness on the cross. And we just whole, wholeheartedly, whole-mindedly, and whole-spiritedly attach ourselves to his goodness. And as a church, I hope that for the remainder of our time, however long God has us here, God has us as a church. We are a church who are oaks of righteousness. We are a church that leans so much into his goodness. God points at a brick wall and says, I want you to do something real dumb and run towards it. And we just take off hoping and praying that he's going to make a hole the size of our head when we hit Because how dynamic, how extraordinarily important, how just, how much impact would that make in our city, in our community, in the lives of the people around us who are hurting and in need of oaks of righteousness who display the splendor of his glory as we attach ourselves to his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. Let's pray together.